Welcome to the Halloween edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your pilot, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 64, headlined by a women's strawweight main event between Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos. Very fun, intriguing fight between two Brazilian strawweights that have finishing power as well as a lot of fun striking attributes that should make this a fun main event. An intriguing welterweight bout co-headlines the card between Neil Magny and D-Rod Daniel Rodriguez. So a ton of fun fights to look forward to. 13 fights, at least from the day that I'm recording this, the Monday of Fight Week, which just so happens to be Halloween. So I thought I might as well get into the festive spirit and dress up for this episode of the Lock cast so one did i really want to be maverick for halloween this year yes two does this halloween costume seem a little bit big on me yes three did i really care because i'll likely only wear this this one year and it was the only one in stock yes so it's totally fine that this one is a little bit big on me, but it's all good. I really enjoyed it. I love the glasses, love the look, and shout out to my guy Nubian Bookstore for the hookup on the hat, which I think really brings this outfit together since I don't have a slick hairstyle similar to Tom Cruise, aka the Maverick himself. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hopefully you guys are enjoying your Halloween as well and can go out there and really enjoy your time with your family, with your kids as well. If you have kids, I'm not sure if this should be tucked up or tucked down, but whatever. I'm going to keep it tucked up. Um, but really hope you guys uh, enjoy the Halloween. And, and it's really for the kids, but I thought I might as well get it into the spirit as well. But let's get right into this episode. Why don't we, right? First thing that we always like to do is go over the... Uh, betting recap for the last event and although ufc 280 was flat for us a couple weeks ago we did manage to bounce back by ufc vegas 63 um and we cashed uh, for about a 15 percent roi let's quickly go over our bets for that so we'll start off with the props which all ended up hitting actually you know what let's go with the losses first i like the bad news first right i'm sure you guys like that as well so minus 1.67 units on carlos mota against cody durden not a great game plan from him let alone he didn't really um he didn't really perform to the extent that i expected him to perform right apparently he cut a shit ton of weight the day before uh the fight um still managed to make weight but could not keep up with the grappling onslaught that cody durden was putting on him and uh, i should have given cody durden a little bit more respect going into that matchup so my bad there in terms of getting that off i feel like these colors should actually be down a little bit so let me just there we go let me that feels a little bit better doesn't it <laughs> all right um getting back to it so minus 1.67 units on uh carlos mota i still think the guy will have a decent enough ufc career but this was not a good matchup for him uh, on short notice i'll take the l there is what it is all right next up we had a one unit loss on our dog of the night play on andre arlovsky uh man we, we knew that early burst there was from uh was live from hajerio de lima and i felt like that was his game plan going into this the entire time let's try to get arlovsky out of there asap and he was um 
you know, he was successful in doing so. So minus one unit on the dog of the night play there. Uh, Want to talk about robberies. Uh, you know, I was a little bit upset about it at first, thinking it was a bad bet considering how close the fight ended up playing. But then just seeing how many people actually scored that fight for Jacoby and how much there was an uproar about that decision. Again, I am not one to scream out robbery because at a certain point, all of this will level out. As long as you're picking good spots, you're, you're going to end up in the profit, even if you get screwed on a couple decisions. Regardless, I thought we got screwed out of that decision against Dustin Jacoby. Uh, I had 1.7 units at minus 170 on him. Thought we had that one in the bag. Unfortunately, Khalil Roundtree apparently lands the more significant strikes, which ended up allowing the judges to score it in his favor. So we rip up that ticket. And the last loss was uh, one unit on the main event uh, at Calvin Cater at plus 100. Don't really know what more to say about that. We really didn't get to see that fight play out. Um, I saw a lot of people saying that, you know, this is similar to the TJ Dillashaw instance, but the difference is I I'm absolutely certain that Cater did not have an injury going into this fight. I think it occurred during the fight, um, unlike TJ, whose uh, injury occurred six months prior to the fight, and he just kept going at it. Um, so yeah, very bad beat there in terms of losing via injury. That's the MMA game sometimes, unfortunately. All right, let's get to the wins though, because there was plenty of those as well. One and a half units at minus 144 on Chase Super and Steve Garcia to go under two and a half. I was this close to just playing uh, Chase Super by submission at plus 150. You know, had I got that plus 200, plus 250 line I was looking for, I probably would have made that my bet. But Luckily, I still want to go with the Vines. Knew that Steve Garcia would be live to get that finish himself. And that's exactly what he did from the jump. Under two and a half caches there for plus 1.06 units. Let's keep the Vines moving on. Because the fight prior to that, I had Christian Rodriguez to win inside the distance. Two units at plus 100. That could have easily been the lock of the night play with how easily that came to fruition. Shout out to everybody as well. That was on the Rodriguez by sub, which I believe was around plus 600, plus 700. So good win for us there two units of profit another violence bet comes through for your boy minus oh sorry plus ugh, minus 122 at 1.22 units cashes for one unit here on the trishan gore and josh fremd under two and a half now i won't lie you know i did also have a bet on trishan gore there and it slowly started looking like it was going to end up being a josh fremd fight and i thought that we we're going to have to rip up the under two and a half ticket Mr. Vicious goes out there and grabs the neck of Josh Friend and takes it on home with him uh, for us to cash that under two and a half, as well as the money line bet that we had on Trishan Gore plus 146 that cashes for 1.46 units. All in all, in that fight, we cashed 2.46 units. Uh, very happy with that, but uh, I will start to temper my expectations of Trishan Gore moving forward because if he didn't get that finish, it likely would have been a Josh Friend win there. So, um, good one for Gore. I will likely not be as high on him moving forward, even though he ended up getting the win there. Another dub for us was the uh, lock of the night play, five units at minus 225 on Jun Young Park. I saw some pushback on that. Uh, you know, I saw some Joseph Holmes money come in closer to fight time there, but I knew that these guys were worlds apart in terms of skill. And yes, Joseph Holmes would have likely been live in that first round, but should it have gone longer than that, which it did. I knew Jun Young Park was going to take over. I knew the cardio of uh, Joseph Holmes was going to start to deplete. And at that point, we'll see Jun Young Park put his pedal to the 
gas or sorry put his foot on the gas and get him out of there uh, i thought it was going to be by ko uh ended up being by submission but i knew he would get his first ufc finish in this matchup and that's exactly what happened so all in all plus 2.38 units for a 15 percent roi uh we somewhat bounced back from last week or the week prior, we had minus 2.5 for a unit. So just shy of what 10.1 unit that we ended up losing over the last two weeks. But again, happy to be on the good side of the momentum here by cashing on UFC Vegas 63. Hopefully, we can move it on over to UFC Vegas 54 or 64, which goes down this weekend. Before I get into the breakdowns, do want to quickly plug the Patreon if you haven't already signed up. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. Great Discord community great content dro being dropped there on the best bets and props article i'm trying to give back as well with the pay-per-view parlay for the patrons uh a, a ton of other great things on there as well uh soon enough i'm actually going to pull the patreon members as well in terms of what more they would like to see on the patreon and what more i can offer to them uh from uh you know um uh, whether it's a, a betting standpoint uh, i'd want to do fantasy but we can't do fantasy sports up here anymore in canada or at least ontario so it's kind of shitty that i won't be able to really dig into it and give you guys much for it because i won't be getting much back in return but uh yeah really want to see what the patreon community would want more but i feel like they're already happy enough with what we're getting we're up to about 350 members once again make sure you guys check it out join along with those people as well and you'll see why they stay with me for as long as they do and for a price that's not gonna you know cost you an arm and a leg either i feel like i drop a good enough amount of content for that as well so check out the patreon link in the description below no long-term commitments either so you can hop out even if i end up losing this event you can hop right out you get the rest of the month for the still five dollars but you won't be tied to re-upping again once the first hits again so make sure you guys check it out all right let's not waste any more time let's get into these breakdowns first fight of the night we're going to be talking about a bant women's bantamweight belt this is between ramona pasquale who comes in as a plus 135 or underdog she's going up against ufc newcomer tamiris vidal who's coming in at minus 155 now you know i saw her as i saw vidal as the favorite and i thought we were going to have somebody new that we could look forward to in this bantamweight division for the ufc but then you run the tape and you're like oh it kind of makes sense as to why we're not uh, very high on her and why you know she originally opened up as a minus 240 favorite and has been bet all the way down to minus 155 completely makes sense now in terms of her striking she just has an overhand right that's really about it her striking outside of that very much is out the window. Like she doesn't really throw combinations. She doesn't really try to set anything up with the jab. Her leg kicks are few and far between. She's just trying to knock your head into the fifth row or try to get you to the ground while doing so as well. That That's where she does her best work is when she's able to get fights to the ground, utilize her Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. And from there, she can get top control, get some good work off from on top. But the vast majority of her success is coming against you know questionable competition outside of martina jan jandrova i think her name was uh she's actually in pfl but 
uh, you know, Jandy drove, or I'm going to just go with Martina. Martina was touching her up on the feet. You know, that's where she had the advantage. But Vidal was able to get into those clinch positions, drag the fight to the ground, and then control it from on top. She eventually wins that fight by decision. She goes on to fight Eileen Perez, who is a UFC fighter now as well. And she was getting worked in the majority of that fight as Eileen was the one getting her to the ground and grinding her out and having success from that top position. Unfortunately for Eileen, she just kept fouling her, whether it was groin shots, whether it was a need to a down opponent which was the eventual ending of the fight uh tamira's videl gets her hand raised via disqualification in that matchup in a fight that she was pretty much getting handled and then we move on to her next matchup i believe her next opponent's name was braga and in that matchup uh braga um was the much better technical striker i believe she came into mma with the boxing background and you can see it on full display she's touching up vidal effortlessly and then once vidal actually wants to get this fight to the ground it doesn't even look like a great takedown it just kind of seemed like uh, braga just gave up the takedown with relative ease vidal ends up in full mount she eventually drops back to get a heel hook and that's how she ends up winning her fight so uh, a lot of sketchiness on her record in terms of what we see on tape so to back her as a minus 155 favorite i think is a little bit logical per se you know and i know ramona pasquale is not the greatest either but she shows at least some output on the feet which will help her kind of stay ahead on the judges scorecards as long as she can avoid that big bomb from vidal and i think she has decent enough grappling that she can make vidal work for these takedowns maybe even land a takedown of her own and then be safe enough from that top position to just grind her out but i completely understand why Pasco opened up as plus 200 and now she's plus 135 because people see that the skill set discrepancy here is really not that wide. You know, Pasquale hasn't had the best run in the UFC to date. And although we could have made a case for her winning that fight against Jocelyn Edwards, she still came out on the losing side two times in a row now in the UFC. But I think that this is a very winnable fight for her. This is a spot where we should be able to cash her as an underdog, where she should finally able, she should be finally able to raise her hand uh, as well as a UFC fighter too. So give me Pasquale, Pasquale via decision. You know, it is too early in the week already for a specific prop odds to be out yet, but I'm expecting that to be closer to plus 200. I think that's a good enough spot to take the shot here on Pasquale, even from a money line perspective at plus 135. So give me Romano Pasquale to start off the night with an underdog victory. Let's get to our next matchup here, which takes place in the flyweight division between Jake Hadley, who's coming in as a minus 275 favorite. He's going up against Carlos Condelario, who's coming in at plus 230. Now, Jake Hadley obviously screws the pooch in his last matchup, coming in as a decent favorite over Alan Nascimento. Good enough that some people were able to get that underdog money on Nascimento and cash that ticket. But Hadley has shown some issues when guys can actually contend with him on the ground. He's not just going out there and squashing these guys on the mat like he did on the cage warrior scene. So now we'll have to see how he tries to evolve his game and become a better fighter. Candelario, I backed him in his last matchup against Tatsuro Taira, as I believe the submission defense that was on display throughout his career would help him stay safe against Taira. Unfortunately, he was defending the entire matchup and was not really able to get much offense off which ultimately allowed tyra to get his hand raised uh, via decision that night but we saw some good enough things from condelario 
Unfortunately, I believe this will play out similar to the Tyra fight, where we get Hadley getting this fight to the ground, and although he might come close to some submission opportunities, Condelario will likely fight out of those spots and eventually survive this to go the full 15 minutes, and unfortunately won't be able to get enough offense off to get his own hand raised. So I do like Jake Hadley here. I think the line is just a little bit too wide. I'm going to wait for the totals to come out. If we get over 1.5, over 2.5, at a decent enough price range between maybe minus you know obviously plus money and up to maybe minus 150 i'd likely take a shot on the over there um but i think hadley by decision is probably the best way to go here he will be the better offensive grappler here and that may not end up in a finish but that should allow him to control the vast majority of this fight do some good enough damage from on top and and eventually get his hand raised via decision here so give me hadley just be a little bit cautious on that minus 275 because a reversal here from candelario could absolutely change the trajectory of this matchup and could make it a lot closer than a minus 275 favorite should be that's my issue here my only my only issue in terms of not backing candelario either is i just don't know if his offense will be enough to deal with the offensive minded nature of jake hadley so hadley decision let's go Next matchup finds us in the bantamweight division and we got Johnny Munoz Jr. coming in as a minus 215 favorite against the returning Ludwig Sholinian uh, who's coming in as a plus 185 underdog. Now Ludwig was scheduled to fight Nathaniel Wood back in March. Unfortunately as everybody knows the Ukraine and Russia war was going on and Ludwig being of Ukrainian descent decided to pull out of that fight so he could go back home and help out his uh his fellow countrymen and countrywomen uh you know in the war efforts against Russia there so very high respect for a guy like Shalinian who was willing to put his professional career on hold to go help his community out and how to help his country out now in terms of a fighter right this is a guy that used to be on the uh ultimate fighter uh he beat number one pick Mitch Raposo with a uh, a solid pressure style ended up using his grappling to grind that fight out in rounds two and three uh, but then ran into Ricky Tercius who had a little bit more of an engine than him right a little bit more output a little bit more grittiness and that allowed uh, Ricky Tercios to get his hand raised and eventually move on to the finale Ludovic did not move on to the finale but he did still manage to get a UFC contract unfortunately for him his UFC debut went up against Jack Tank Shore a very difficult matchup for him but I thought he made a very good account of himself there. You know, a lot of people expected, myself included, that Shore was going to ground that fight with relativities, and then from there he would be able to find a submission and get Shulinian out of there. But Shulinian went uh, 6 of 8 on defending takedowns from Jake Shore, uh, Jack Shore, but also defended some submission attempts from Jack Shore as well, which showcased his submission defense as well as his grappling defense. And then on the feet, he was in Jack Shore's face the entire time. And, you know, even though he was kind of getting touched up even with Shore on his heels the entire time, uh, I think that Shulinian showed off his grit and his uh, pressure style pretty well there. His output wasn't the greatest because he was getting beat to the punch, but I think that's going to be different here against Johnny Munoz Jr., now Munoz Jr. usually has uh, a, a size and height advantage over his opponents but Ludwig will actually have you one inch height advantage in this matchup the reach will technically be the same but I think that's going to be very important here as when we saw Munoz Jr. fight the much smaller Jamie Simmons he was able to establish that striking distance a little bit more keep Jamie Simmons you know uh, overthinking in terms of not overextending on his punches or coming in on naked takedowns because Munoz was just throwing that jab out there but more often than not, we see Munoz Jr.'s striking game 
relatively just a, a kicking style. Like, he doesn't really do much outside of that. Like, yes, he was throwing one-twos down the middle against Jamie Simmons, but then when you fight him, uh, see him fight against a guy like uh, Tony Gravely or even against a guy like Nate Maness, his striking style is not there. It's all kicks. It's trying to maintain that distance so that he can time a well, well-shot well takedown and then try to get this fight to the ground and get it into his realm, which is the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a BJJ ace, right? High-level black belt. This guy's been living on the mats since he was a kid. So high level jujitsu, like I'm saying, but in the striking realm doesn't leave much to be desired. With Shalinian, he will stay in his face. He will put his punches on Munoz Jr. And I think his takedown defense will be good enough to keep this fight standing to keep it live for himself. I think he'll put that pressure on Munoz from the jump and that, that's going to keep Munoz on the back uh, on his back heels. And hopefully that will allow uh, Shalinian to see the telegraph takedowns coming his way. He can stuff those takedowns, keep this on the feet and get back to his punching style and his boxing style. I think the longer this goes, Shalinian will likely start to engage in the grappling. And from there, I think he believes in his submission defense enough that he should be able to ride out Munoz Jr. from that top position. At plus 185, given Munoz Jr.'s you know, lack of success in terms of getting fights to the ground. Now, he's only landed four of 20 takedown attempts. I believe he only went one or two of 16 against Nate Maness. So the vast majority of those takedown attempts or fa failed takedown attempts coming against uh, Nate Maness. I think that it's going to cause him trouble, especially trying to get this fight to the ground and struggling to do so. And then even when it gets to the ground, I think Shalinian is good enough defensively speaking that he should be able to get back to you know, the feet or get back to his realm where he can kind of control and dictate the pace of this fight in the striking realm. So I like Shalinian as the dog. Plus 185, I think, is a phenomenal line to get on this matchup. Munoz Jr., yes, phenomenal on the ground, but I think his ability to, or his lack of ability to ground fights will cause him trouble, especially in this matchup. So give me Shalinian. Shalinian by decision, possible late for, finish for him as well, but I think he deals with that early onslaught, puts pressure on Munoz Jr. more as this fight goes on, and eventually breaks him and wins this fight via decision. So there you guys go. All right, let's get to this next matchup. It is a strawweight matchup between Jin Yu Fry, who's coming in as a plus 100 underdog, and Poliana Vienna, who's coming in at minus 120. Now, this is a another difficult matchup for me because I can see you know, a similar outcome on either side. I can see Jin Yu Fry uh, utilizing her superior technical striking, getting this fight to the ground and grinding out Poliana from on top, or Poliana introduces her chaotic striking style, which allows her to get fights to the ground and from there allows her to do her best work with her Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's where I'm kind of caught off guard here because I think that Vienna can finish Fry at a good enough clip, but I think that there's just as likely that Fry could just grind her out, similar to what she did against Ashley Yoder, similar to what she did against Gloria De Paula. But we've seen, you know, a fight prior to that against Kay Hansen where she is doing well, but then eventually gets caught with the submission off her uh, off uh, Hansen's back, right? Poliana could do the same thing. She's just as aggressive. Tabitha Ricci was great in terms of missing her striking with her takedown and just grinding out Poliana from on top because her jiu-jitsu was good enough. Fry's jiu-jitsu might be good enough. I'm not 100% sure. So the only thing that I was kind of looking to pull a trigger on here, at least from a money line perspective, was Vienna if she was the underdog. Because I think that the chaos that she brings will likely create a finishing opportunity for either woman, I think more so on the Vienna side. So the spot that I'm actually waiting for, and the line has yet to be dropped as of this recording, is the under two and a half. 
women's MMA, we usually get a good plus number on the under. And given the style that Vienna fights with, I think she could eventually catch Jinyu Fry in something. So I'm going to be looking for the under two and a half here. I do lean the Vienna side. I do think she pulls off an armbar or a submission of some sort. I'm just not sure exactly when, but I just can't back her as a slight favorite here because I think that she will likely be losing the majority of this fight until she pulls off that submission. So I like, I like, I don't mind people taking the Fry side either because I do see the value in that, but something in the back of my head just shows me or tells me that Vienna is going to lock up another submission victory here and take home that uh, that win with her. So the under is what I'm going to be looking at. But in terms of a prediction, we'll go uh, Poliana-Vienna inside the distance. All right, next matchup. We got the return of Benito Lopez in this bantamweight matchup. He's coming in as the plus 190 underdog, minus 225 the return on Mario Bautista. Now, this was the first matchup I studied of the card because I really felt like I was going to be on the Bautista side and that side pretty heavily. And I still feel pretty good about him, don't get me wrong. But like the thing that kind of causes me concern is that he does still get hit at times. He does a good job in terms of utilizing his combinations, his kicking, and his range management. But given that Benito moves pretty well and utilizes his kicks and his distance management pretty well too, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in with the blitz and catches Bautista with something and makes this a much closer fight than the odds actually indicate. But let's mix in the three and a half year long layoff for Benito Lopez. Let's mix in the, you know, I don't think he's really spending as much time at Team Alpha Male nowadays. He's just became a real estate agent. How is this? Maybe it's coming down to money for him. Maybe he just needs to get paid at this point in time. And maybe he's not, he's not fully ready to come back or fully healed from whatever might have kept him out of the cage. Uh, and maybe he's just jumping into the jumping into this a little bit sooner than he should be. I, I like Bautista's style overall. I think he could ground this fight if he needs to. That's likely where he gets the least amount of resistance by just grinding out Benito Lopez from on top. And then from there, you know, just doing his best work. Um I think at a certain point, Bautista will hurt uh, um, Benito Lopez, probably get this fight to the ground and possibly locks up a submission. Um, but I think at minus 225, just use him as a parlay piece. Like, I think that's the best way to utilize this matchup. Bautista should win this, but I, I'm not counting out that herky-jerky style of Lopez from the outside possibly catching uh, Bautista by perfectly timing a counter or something like that. It's absolutely live, but I still believe with everything going for Bautista here, the layoff, all that outside of cage stuff that Benito is dealing with, Bautista will likely end up getting his uh, hand raised in this matchup. So give me Bautista, Bautista inside the distance, but minus 225, go ahead, parlay it. I think you'll be fine with that as well. Next up, we got Miranda Maverick. Can you guess who I'm going to be picking in this one? She's coming in as a minus 600 favorite. She's going up against Shanna Young, who's coming in as a plus 450 underdog. Now, this is actually a matchup that was originally scheduled to take place a couple months ago, but Shanna Young, unfortunately, forced to pull out of that matchup. But the UFC is like, hey, you're not getting out of this one that easily. You still got to go up there and fight this rising prospect in Miranda Maverick. Now, you guys have been following me for a while. You guys know that I'm pretty big on Maverick. I think she has a great skill set. I think her uh, skills are actually improving on a fight-to-fight basis. Uh, I think the fact that she changed her gym from, uh, I can't remember where she was fighting, Oklahoma uh, with Matt Kinsemzer. Uh, she was training there. She 
you know, over the last couple of years, moved up to Denver and started training with a solid group of folks there, uh, Elevation Fight Team. She's training with Cody Donovan. Uh, you know, she has a lot of good training partners there as well. Uh, and I think that's only going to help her moving forward in her MMA career. And I think that this is a solid fight for her to showcase those those improvements. You know, Shani Young, she's a decent striker. She's strong. But outside of that, I think she will very much struggle with the style of Miranda Maverick. I think Maverick is the better ground specialist, especially when she's able to get that takedown. Uh, and then on the feet, it might be a little bit more even, but I think that Maverick does good enough work to eventually close that gap, close that distance, get her hands around her opponents and drag them to the mat. So, I, you know, there's really not much to say about this. I'm not going to plead my case for a minus 600 favorite. She should go in there. She should get it done inside the distance if it's a good enough number i'll probably take a shot uh if the if there's plus money on the under two and a half as well i'll likely take a shot on that too um but yeah i, I really like maverick in the spot and i think she cruises i just can't wait for her next matchup right continue to build her up this is good for her experience but she should be fighting much more talented women than shannon young in this matchup so give me maverick maverick inside the distance all right, next up, let's get into a featherweight belt between Derek Minner and Shailan Nurdenbeka. Uh, we got plus 170 on Minner and minus 200 the return on Shailan. Now, this is a very intriguing matchup because, uh, well, intriguing in the fact that the odds are what they are, right? Minus 200 and plus 170. I see this time and time again on almost a weekly or bi-weekly basis where the odds makers are just like, here are the odds, and, and and it's specifically minus 200 on the guy that has likely the better path to victory and the wider path to victory against a guy who has a dangerous path to victory, but likely if he can't get it done in that limited amount of time, uh, his opponent should be able to take over and eventually win that fight. That's what we're getting here, right? Derek Minner has largely been sub-round one or bust. We see him visibly give up uh, should fights go over that one and a half round mark. That's where other, his other opponents can kind of put the foot on the gas and either get him out of there or just work him into the ground and just grind him out over the remaining minutes of the fight. And that's kind of what I'm expecting to hear from Shai Ilan, right? Shai Ilan, strong grappler, strong clinch game, strong grappling. Um, he will be in danger early in this matchup. Derek Minner will absolutely be threatening with sub submissions, right? There have been instances where Shai Ilan has shot desperate takedowns and his opponents have been able to latch onto his neck. Sha Derek Minner is live to do that at any moment in this matchup. I truly believe that. And I think that's what will likely keep Minner in this matchup longer than people expect him to. But I just can't... You know, I can't bank on a guy winning via desperation takedown guillotine choke, right? I, I just can't do that. Nor can I bet on the guy who I think has more tools in this matchup, Shailan, at minus 200 because he could get caught early in this matchup. So all in all, I think this fight is a pass or you can just bet sub round one Derek Minner. Likely you'll get at least plus 300, plus 400 on that. That's his best path to victory. He might land it, but I'm going to lean with uh, Shai Yilan here, thinking that he should be able to grind this one out, stay out of the submission uh, attempts of Derek Minner, and then win this fight via decision. No big conviction here. Won't have a bet in this matchup, uh, but I do like the Chinese fighter here to get his hand raised. Lightweight bout ahead of us between Mark Madsen and Grant Dawson. Minus 230 coming in on the young gun and plus 180 or plus 195 now on mark madsen who's uh 38 years
years old, right? He's on a bit of a winning streak right now. He's uh, developing a striking game. Fight Ready MMA is doing wonders for his game. Um, but this is really now or never, right? If he ends up stumbling here, that's likely, likely the last time we'll either one, see him in the cage, or two, be on the tra trajectory of being a top five to top 10 guy in this division. But you know, he showcased a solid all-around game in his last matchup against Vince Bichelle, uh, showcasing his improved striking, showcasing that he can still go out there and mix in the grappling behind it. Uh, his cardio looking better than it has in the past. Obviously, the Austin Hubbard fight is the one that comes to mind for a lot of people, but I think that uh, Madsen has somewhat uh, fixed those issues, right? I think in the third round against Michelle, we saw him dig deep to get that takedown, and it was relatively easy for him to control that top position against Michelle, but Michelle hasn't really been the best, best off of his back or in terms of pulling off submissions, reversals, or getting back to his feet, so can't uh blame Madsen too much for that one but in this matchup I think that Madsen might be a little bit outgunned right you're talking about a fighter that has 10 I believe about 10 years of youth on him uh an athleticism advantage and a guy that can keep up in the grappling room should it go to the grappling room right I think Dawson has a better pure jiu-jitsu but I also think his wrestling background should allow him to keep this fight either at a stalemate get it in the stand-up where he can showcase a bit more output and, and volume. And we've seen in his last fight against Jared Gordon that, you know, that that narrative that even I was uh, guilty of kind of putting on him was, you know, he slows down a lot. This guy can be exploited in the third round. He shut a lot of those people up, especially with getting a finish over uh, Grant Dawson, or sorry, um, Jared Gordon, the way that he did. It was impressive. He mixed in his output on the feet with grappling exchanges. And even if he wasn't able to get that first takedown, he was willing to shoot for the second takedown. And eventually he was able to get the back of uh, Jared Gordon and sunk in that rear naked choke and got the tap. So good win for him there. Good showcase of solid progression in his skill set. And I think that this is another opportunity for him to go out there, add a, another skilled opponent to his record, uh, get some valuable cage experience. But I think his overall game is a little bit too much for Mark Madsen at this point. In time so give me grant dawson dawson by decision i wouldn't rule out a late finish for him either but uh you know i think he is also partly material around that minus 230 line Tagir Ulimbekov going up against Nate Maness in this flyweight matchup. We got minus 190 on the Dagestani fighter and plus 160 on Nate Maness, who's coming off a very tough outing against uh, a teammate, if I'm not mistaken, of Ulimbekov's in uh, Umar Nurmagomedov. Uh, now, Nate Maness, you know, showcased a good durability in that fight against Nurmagomedov as he didn't end up getting finished but continuously got put on his back and he didn't really have much to say in regards to that when Nate is at his best he's able to sprawl and brawl to the best of his abilities and put his punches together knocking out opponents or even just devastating them on the feet to eventually get his hand raised by decision but he prefers fights to be in the striking realm and that's exactly where he's hoping this matchup against Tagir Ulenbekov will play out now my concern with Tagir is his lack of ability to control guys on the mat right he has largely been a bit of a dud since coming into the UFC after his win over Bruno Silva uh, that was a fight where I had him as my lock in the night play very close fight I thought he deserved to lose that fight if I'm being honest but uh, he still managed to get his hand raised uh, but it was a close fight and that showcase, the, you know, the fact that he fights very close with his opponents over his next couple fights, right? Very close fight against Alan Nascimento, close fight against Tim Elliott, loses that fight. 
So that just showcases like he does need to work a little bit more on his control. Is Nate Maness the guy that he can control? I don't know. You know, I've seen some good things from Maness in the past, dealing with a takedown heavy approach from his opponents and then just butchering them on the feet and, you know, either knocking them out or winning the fight by decision. Tagir will likely have takedown success here. I, I don't doubt that. My concern is his ability to actually control Maness on the ground once it gets there. If he can't do that, this is going to be a, a, it could be a short night for him, right? And the striking, he doesn't want to strike with Nate. Nate has the power. He has the disciplined striking approach to better Tagir Ulembekov in those spots. Tagir can be competitive, don't get me wrong. It's not like he's going to be a fish out of water on the feet and then just get knocked out immediately. Yes, he will have some success. But I think ultimately he needs this fight to be on the ground to get his hand raised. I think he can do it often enough. I think he can stay away from trouble enough to get his hand raised here, but I just don't feel so good at minus 190 taking the shot. Some might think that this is a gift of a line on Tagir, but I want to see him go out there and prove that to me first before I go out there and bet chalk on him once again. So I am going to take Tagir here. I think he wins by decision. I think he stays safe on the feet. I think he struggles to keep Nate on the ground, but still lands the takedown enough or at least clinches him up against the cage, stalls him long enough that Nate can't get off on too much damage. And then from there, Ulenbekov should continue to grind on him, chip away at him and get his hand raised by decision. So give me Ulenbekov by decision, but I'm going to stay away from this fight as a whole. Next up, we got a heavyweight matchup between a pick em. it's a pick em matchup here guys we got josh parisian going up against chase sherman both guys have had up and down ufc careers to date um and both guys likely fighting for their jobs here um actually maybe not so much you know chase sherman did get that victory in his last matchup against uh uh god damn was it i want to say it was jake call no um against jared vandera and then josh parisian i believe also just recently picked up a win uh, in his last fight let me just quickly confirm that i'm not sure why i'm blanking on that as of right now yes he did pick up a win over alan baudot where he was able to ground and pound finish him in the second round of their matchup now you know parisian i don't know why people have been so high on him in the past right he's been a big favorite and sometimes he's come through sometimes he's gotten his uh gotten or gotten the l right the fight against parker porter parker porter comes in as the underdog and outboxes him there and, and wins that fight josh parisian's Striking style, not the most impressive, right? He needs to put his punches together a little bit better. A little bit too flashy, likes his spinning stuff. But I do think that uh, Chase Sherman will likely be the better disciplined striker here, right? Throws in combinations, has the aggressiveness, can move forward, and may even have a bit of a cardio advantage in this matchup. The thing that kind of gives me pause in terms of betting aside here is both guys are relatively unreliable, right? Josh should go for takedowns in this matchup, and he could land them and grind this fight off from on top, but I think we've seen some good enough resistance from Chase in the past that he could likely work back to his feet in those positions and then get uh, back to his striking style, which will likely land more effectively than anything that Josh is throwing on the feet. But I'm just, I can't bet on a guy like Chase Sherman, right? He just has so much flakiness in his game, as does Josh Parisian, for me to have a truly convicted stance on this fight. I do end up on the Chase Sherman side as I do think that his striking style and the damage that he can occur on the feet or incur or dish out on the feet, I should say, will be enough for him to get his hand raised. Whether it's by knockout or whether it's by decision, I, I do think he will be the one landing the more damaging blows throughout this fight. So yes, Josh may land some takedowns. And that's where my concern comes from Chase. Like, 
Does he work hard enough to get back to his feet? Or does he just give up the position for the rest of the round and let Josh chalk up an extra round for him? And then he has to work a little bit further uh, or a little bit harder in the second and third rounds because he just gives up takedowns and doesn't have the the grit or the determination to get back to his feet. That's my big question mark here. I'm still going to go end up going with Chase. I think he uh, likely finds the knockout in this matchup, uh, getting his hand raised in that aspect, but still big, big question marks uh, from either side. Not sure how you can have huge conv- conviction on either side, but I'm going to go with Chase Sherman by knockout. All right, next matchup that we got here is the co-main event of the evening. And we're going to be going over Neil Magny coming in as a minus 115 favorite and Daniel Rodriguez as this slight, I guess, favorite money underdog at minus 105. Uh, This line has pretty much been back and forth the entire time, relatively staying around that minus 110 mark. But I do think that this is a fight where Neil Magny can go out there and do Neil Magny things. Now, Daniel Rodriguez is coming off that UFC 279 fiasco where the entire top three fight or top three portion of that card got shuffled around due to the Hamzat Shemaev disobedience when it comes to weighing in. But... I, I, you know, I, I think he got the raw end of the deal going up against a guy like Li Jing Liang, and I truly thought that Li deserved to win that fight. I thought he landed the better strikes. I thought he was a little bit better with his output. I am not entirely sure how Daniel Rodriguez got his hand raised in that matchup, but is what it is. You can't do anything about that, right? Um, when Daniel Rodriguez is at his best, he can utilize his combination striking and his footwork to land damaging blows against his opponents, but it's not like he's ever running away with it against his guys, right? Uh, the close fight against Nicholas Dalby. A lot of people scored that fight for him, but he didn't really do the best in terms of establishing that he truly deserved to win that fight because it was a close fight. You know, the, Jacoby did a good... Or, uh, Nicholas Dalby is who I meant to say. Nicholas Dalby wasn't doing the best in terms of asserting his own dominance either, but he was staying active outside with the leg kicks. Now, Neil Magny, you know, some people think that he might have fallen on rough times because he lost to Shavkat Rakhmanov in his last fight. That's a bad stylistic uh, opponent for him. He thought, I thought he did a good job against Max Griffin, even after he got knocked down in that first round. But when he's fighting guys that don't have grapple heavy approaches, he is very live. You know, his. Uh, his his style his weird awkward style on the feet his pressure his pace um the pace that he sets is just a lot for a lot of uh, opponents to keep up with or too much for opponents to keep up with so that's where we'll see neil you know rough him up against the cage maybe drag this fight to the ground and just put it on him with the output am i concerned that max griffin was able to drop magni no like i think max griffin has a speed advantage over daniel rodriguez which is why he was able to get to the chin the way that he did Rodriguez is live to knock him down, don't get me wrong, but I think that as a whole body of work, Neil Magny will be able to do much more for the judges, for the judges to actually see it in his favor, and for him to get his hand raised. So I do like Neil Magny here a decent bit. You know, taking the straight-up money line shot on him is not a bad idea, in my opinion. I think he'll stay stay way more active. Punches, kicks, uh, dirty clinch work as well. I think he'll have all the advantages there, not to mention the cardio as well. This is a perfect matchup for him to go out there and showcase that he can still beat some of the guys that are on the 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 rise, similar to what he did against Jeff Neal a couple fights ago. This is a similar fight where he can do that. And Jeff Neal, in my opinion, is a better striker than Daniel Rodriguez. So the fact that he was able to beat a guy like that gives me even more confidence that he should be able to be able to beat a guy like Daniel Rodriguez. So give me Neil Magny, Neil Magny by decision. No brainer, Matt, or spot for me to win some more money here on Neil Magny. 
All right, main event time. Always a good time for me to remind you guys to hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already and check out the Patreon as well if you guys want some extra content. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, again, five bucks a month, no long-term commitment. Why would you not? Especially when I already have 350 members live with me as well. I'd say that's a successful Patreon, so hop on while you guys can as well. All right, let's get to this main event matchup. Strawweight bout here between Marina Rodriguez coming in as a minus 210 favorite and Amanda Lemos coming in as a plus 180 underdog. Now, this matchup was originally scheduled for UFC 280, eventually got pushed to this card here. Um, I'm trying to recall off the, uh, off the top of my head what the main event was supposed to be for this card, but it's kind of... Oh, it was supposed to be Movzar Evoluev against Bryce Mitchell, but that fight obviously, obviously gets pushed back. Movzar uh, gets injured. Now Bryce Mitchell is fighting Ilya Tapori on the last pay-per-view of the year. They tried getting a short notice replacement for Bryce. Nothing really worked out, so they decided to elevate this matchup between Rodriguez and Lemos to the main event slot. And uh, both women have had main event featured spots in the past and have come out on top or... You know, Lemos, she obviously got tapped out by Jessica Andrade in her main event appearance or lone main event appearance. Um, but Rodriguez has gone a hard five rounds against much skilled opponents in the past and she's come out relatively unscathed. Now, Lemos, a large majority of her win condition here is to get her out of there in the first round. I think Rodriguez has shown very good durability and good ability in terms of being under pressure and still having discipline about her game to showcase that she could get out of bad spots should she find herself in there. But the longer this fight goes, you got to believe that Rodriguez is going to start to take over. You know, she has the better cardio, she has better output, and she has a better disciplined striking game, which should allow her to pay, stay safe against Lemos, who really starts to telegraph a lot of her strikes and her takedowns from the outside when fights get into that second and third round. I'm expecting this to go late, right? I'm expect, expecting this to hit that third and fourth round at least. And if Lemos doesn't get her out of there early, obviously you can wait to live bet Marina Rodriguez after round one. But I think the overall game that Rodriguez puts together still may be too much for Lemos. Lemos is fast early, but like after that, she really starts to slow down and uh, really, like I said, really starts to telegraph her shots. I would love to see how that fight with Michelle Watterson would have continued to have gone should Michelle have survived that guillotine attempt from Amanda Lemos in the second round. But I think that Marina Rodriguez would not get caught in something like that. Lemos might have some ground success if she looks to get this fight to the ground early. But after that one and a half round mark, I really expect Marina Rodriguez to take over in this matchup. I feel safe that Rodriguez will be safe in the early parts of this fight, which is why I don't mind laying the chalk early or even pre-fight because I think she can get her hand raised even while dealing with that early onslaught from Lemos here. So give me Rodriguez just off of volume, durability, pace, pressure and cardio alone if you want to say it that way uh, but i think she is the much better overall fighter here and uh yeah I, I think she wins this fight without too much um too much uh issue right she has been a slow starter early in fights but i think that's going to help her here in terms of staying safe and then she'll start to pick it up the later this fight goes give me marina rodriguez Round five TKO. I think Lemos will be on fumes by that point, and Rodriguez will just put a big flurry together, and that likely will get Lemos out of there. But if you have access to that round four or five decision for Rodriguez, you might be able to get a better line on that as well. All right, there you guys go. The Halloween edition of the MMA Lawcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoyed the Top Gun outfit. Your boy had to do it. Um, good luck on your bets this week. I'll see you guys throughout the week for all the other endless amount of content that I dropped for you guys. 
just drop a like and subscribe and I'll be more than happy. Love you guys. Good luck on your bets this week. Peace out.